From Isaiah chapter 40 all the way now to chapter 46, we've been talking about what it means to be released from bondage, what it means to be set free. We know that we are enslaved by sin. We know that the consequence of sin is death. We know that the permanent punishment is life apart from God, but we have been set free. We have been set free by the power of God. We have been set free by the presence of God. We have been set free by the promises of God. And now in chapter 46, we are set free from the problem of dead idolatry in order for us to serve the true and the living God. Chapter 46 is about the idols of Babylon. And chapter 47 is about the destruction of Babylon. Those two concepts really do go together. Idolatry and destruction. Because, you see, if Babylon had turned to God, she would have lived. But she clung to her idols, and they weighed her down into the dust. In this chapter, chapter 46, Isaiah is going to contrast the failure of the false gods with the success of the true and the living God. Failed gods are the things that you carry, and the true God is the one who carries you. In the next chapter, Isaiah is going to describe and declare the collapse of culture, and the collapse of a specific culture, the Babylonian culture. And it's collapsed because of its commitment to false gods and its commitment to idolatry. So in this chapter, we're going to look at the failure of idols and idolatry in verses one and two. Then we're going to look at the freedom that true believers have in verses three and four, the false hope idols offer in verses five through seven, and then the faithfulness of God to all who trust him in verses eight through 13. So again, look in verses one and two. Of chapter 46. I think I'm going to just read the whole chapter. Here we go. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded. A burden to the weary beast. They stoop. They bow down together. They could not deliver the burden. But have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me. O house of Jacob. And all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. Even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me, that we should be alike. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place. And it stands from its place. It shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer. Nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this. And show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O oh, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. 
For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, for I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. In verse 1, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on beasts and on cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beasts. Isaiah gets a vision. It's a parade. And in the parade, there is the pomp and the majesty and the circumstances as Babylon brings out its gods and it begins to celebrate its identity. Who are these gods? Bell bows. Nebo stoops. The idols are on beasts and on cattle. And Isaiah sees the vision. But remember, part of the point of the vision was to declare the glory and the majesty of Babylon. But what Isaiah sees are false gods. He sees cattle. Burdened down by the false gods. By the way, who are these gods? Well, Bel means Lord. It was another name for the chief deity of the Babylonian Empire. His name was Marduk. He was the chief Babylonian god. Bel was the same false god that was worshipped by the people of Canaan under the name Baal or Baal. The other chief god was Nebo. He was thought to be Bel's oldest son. He was worshipped as the god of fate. He was worshipped as the god of wisdom, of writing, of learning, of astronomy. Nebo was, according to the Babylonian uh, pantheon of gods, the son, the oldest son of God, the recorder, the keeper of the records of the council of gods. He was known in the ancient world as the custodian of the tablets of destiny. So it was his job, if you will, to write the fate of all of humanity. We sometimes forget that the Babylonians had a hypersense. A hyper-religious sensibility. In other words, these people were totally devoted to their gods. They were totally devoted to their gods and goddesses. And the people of Babylon frequently included the names of the pantheon of gods and their children's names. Those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you remember that the king's name was Nebo Kenetzer, incorporating the name Nebo. Nebo Polatsar, Bel Shazar. That was the Babylonian name for Daniel. And so, like the Jewish people, they would incorporate the names of God as they named their children. Daniel, the, the Lord is my judge. Michael, who is like or who is in the image of God. So, Isaiah has the vision. He sees the burden of the beast straining under the weights of the idols. 
and he laughs. He, he, he says, how can you not see what I clearly see? Isaiah is not dece- deceived by the religious pageantry. He knows that they are fakes. He, he gets it. He thinks, how can these things be God? They are fabricated. They have to be carried on a mule or on a donkey or an ox or in a cart. He knows that they're fake. And he can't believe that people would embrace a god or a goddess that you can make out of a tree or that you can make out of gold or that you can make out of silver. He absolutely dismisses the idea that if you can imagine it, if you can fabricate it, if you can dream it up in your mind, then it can't be God. And so he says the obvious. If these idols have to be carried, how can they possibly carry you? If a God can't help itself, how can it help you? If a God needs your strength, how can it strengthen you? They stoop. They bow down together. They, they could not deliver the burden but have themselves gone into captivity. Their idols were on the beasts. And as they were on the beast, the beasts are stooped over, causing pain, causing strain, creating a burden. And Isaiah sees and knows what is real. Idols promise everything. And they deliver nothing. They take everything. And then they leave the worshiper, the idolater, empty, wounded, bereft, plundered. They stoop, they bow, they can't deliver. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Do you know what that means? It means that the idolaters will eventually themselves go into bondage. That they will eventually themselves go into captivity. And by the way, what will happen to the Babylonian Empire? It will be seized and taken by the Persian Empire. Isaiah's point, where's Marduk? Where is Bel? Where is Nebo? What happened? Why didn't the Babylonian culture endure? Why didn't it stand the test of time? By the way, there was a man named Saddam Hussein who attempted to revitalize the Babylonian culture and the Babylonian empire. He, he would create images of the ancient figure of Nebuchadnezzar and next to him he would put himself and the ancient Nebuchadnezzar, according to his image, looked a lot like himself. Only Saddam had that really cool beret. But guess what? Those who cling to idolatry go into captivity I want you to note something else. Isaiah doesn't for a moment, he doesn't even for one moment believe that Bel is just another name for Jehovah. He doesn't believe even for one moment that Nebo is just another name for God's son. You know, we worship God. We call him Jehovah. You worship God. You call him Baal. We worship the son of God. We don't know his name because he hasn't been born yet. The psalmist said, 
Who is God and what is his son's name? Isaiah doesn't believe the fiction that we all worship the same God with different names. Do you know what Isaiah believes? Isaiah is saying that the gods of Babylon aren't gods at all. They are fake. They are pathetic. They are fabricated. They are burdens. Here's what he says. They have nothing to offer but pain and sorrow. They have nothing to offer but deprivation. They have nothing to offer other than that they will weigh you down and they will hurt you. So who is the real God? Who is the true and the living God? In verse 3, Look what it says. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. He's contrasting their fake gods, which they have to carry, with the true and the living God who carries them. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. Who is the remnant of the house of Israel? These will be the people who have been taken into captivity when Jerusalem and Judea and the landscape has been pillaged and people have died and the remnant is left who have been upheld by me from birth. I was always with you. I've always been with you. And what was the birth of the house of Jacob and the remnant of the house of Israel? You'll remember Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They went into Egypt and in captivity, in pain, in sorrow, in the womb that was the country of idolatry, Egypt, which is, which is a type and a picture of the world, God birthed a nation. Already in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, God has said, I created you. I formed you. I called you. I'm the one who created you. You didn't create me. I have created you. I have carried you from the womb. By that, he was saying, did you carry me across the wilderness? Who was it that parted the Red Sea? Who was it that delivered you? Who is it that provided for you in the wilderness? Who was it that brought you into the land? I am he, even to your old age, I am he, and even to gray hairs, I will carry you. Contrast that and compare that with false gods. God isn't some tottering old man that you have to take care of in old age. Well, you know, our God is getting up there in age now. He's lost most of his teeth and his hair is gone and his skin is wrinkled. And you have to put him in the old God home. For old gods. You won't have to carry him. He says, I will carry you. Even to gray hairs, I will carry you. It's his way of saying, when the nation has gone past the point of infancy and adolescence and strength to the time that they come to the end of their existence, I will carry you. Look what it says. I have made. And I will bear. I created you. I formed you. I planned you. I called you. Even I will carry. 
and will deliver you. Contrast that with the false god. False gods, can they save you from your transgressions and your sin? Can they keep you from dying? Can they save you from hell? Who's carrying who? The living God claims to have upheld Jacob and carried Israel and that he is the God who takes care of them moment by moment. And that, my friend, is what you should take from this passage. That is the true and the living God. He is the God who cares for you moment by moment. He's the one, the Bible says, who formed you in your mother's womb. He's the one who called you by name. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who set you apart. He's the one who decided to save you from your sin in the person of Jesus Christ and then to call you and to gift you, just like it says in the book of Ephesians. He chose you. He adopted you. He's accepted you. To God, you will always be a child. To God, you will always be dependent on him. And and guess what? God is fine with that. I know that there are families and there are people who say, once you turn 18 and you're out the door, you're on your own. Once I do this or once I do that, once I, once I get you through high school, once I get you through college, once I get you through internship, once I get you through your residency, then you're, then you're on your own. That's what the American Medical Association believes. You become a real person once you graduate from medical school. No, I'm just kidding. Here's the truth. God is fine with you being dependent upon him every moment of every day. You'll never outgrow his dependence. In Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. We used to sing that cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. In first Peter, chapter five, verse seven, it says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you That's the way it's supposed to be. And then in verse 5 it says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? We're taught from an early age to make comparisons, aren't we? As children in the the schoolyard, a person will come up to you and say, My dad's stronger than your dad. My mom's prettier than your mom. My school's better than your school. My hair is nicer than your hair. My skin is nicer than your skin. We compare. We make comparisons about everything. But here's the point that God is making. To whom will you liken me? Marduk? Who will you liken me to? Who is the God who reveals himself? Who is the God that doesn't have to be carried? Who is the God who's created all things? Who is the God who has spoken in advance all of the things that will take place and compare me that we should be alike? I know what some people think. Because the moment that you say, and here's what he's asking you to do. Compare the true and living God. With the pretend gods. Who are the pretend gods? The pretend gods are all of the things that pretend to give you pleasure instead of pain. That 
that pretend to give you comfort, that pretend to give you hope, that pretend to give you sustenance, that pretend to take care of you, but they're not the real God. Well, my sin gives me pleasure. My sin comforts me. My addictions give me peace. I like to be drunk. And when I go to hell, I'm going to party with all my friends. How could you, how could you even say that? If you had a clue about what the Bible says. Sin, the Bible says, is pleasurable for a season. But the Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. The Bible says that sin will have its inevitable consequence. Not only will it antagonize and then alienate you from God, then it will separate you from all of eternity. And how does the Creator compare to His creation? Watch TV. Watch the animal planet. Look at an animal in its habitat and you go, wow, that's pretty amazing. Look at an animal. Look at a continent. Look at the planet. Look at the solar system. Watch the universe on the History Channel. See the galaxy and then see all of the galaxies. There's 500 billion stars in our galaxy. And then there are some 500 billion galaxies in all of the universe that we've been able to chart so far. It is incomprehensible. We can't as human beings even get our mind around it. But the true and the living God isn't carried on the earth. And he isn't even carried in the solar system. And he isn't even carried in the swirl of the galaxy. And he isn't upheld or occupies this universe. This is the product of his creative genius. He relies on nothing and no one. But what do you have as your God? What is it that you get up in the morning and you think about? What is it that you live for every single day? What is it that you go to bed thinking about? What is it that occupies your mind and your speech and your heart and your emotion? Look what it says in verses 6 and 7. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith. And make it a God. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place. And it stands from its place. It shall not move. Though, though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. He, he looks at the ridiculousness. Look what you've done. You've made it. But I made it out of th- stuff that's valuable. I broke my tooth a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week when I was having lunch with Rod. We're we're having a sandwich at Panini. I bite into a potato chip and my tooth breaks. So I go to the dentist yesterday and he's he's taking out the filling. And he goes, man, you have this old school gold filling. I go, look, when that filling went in my mouth, gold was $36 an ounce. Now it's $900 an ounce. He goes, this isn't gold, it's silver amalgam. I go, silver was a dollar an ounce, and now it's $14 an ounce. I go, here, take the filling and buy your children a happy meal. 
They lavish gold out of the bag. They hire a goldsmith. I took my children out to lunch the other day, and we went down to uh, Aspen Grove. And in there, they have a store. It's called Build-A-Bear. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you get the dead carcass of some stuffed animal. And then you take the carcass, and then you stuff it with stuffing. And then you find the right outfit for it, the right hat. You know, they have bronco bears, and they have happy bears, and they have avalanche bears, and they have all kinds of bears. And you just, you just outfit your bear, and then they actually go online and they register your bear. This is exactly what verses 6 and 7, you, you build your own God, you construct your own religion, and Isaiah can't help but make fun of the idols and the idolatry. They lavish gold out of the bag. They weigh silver. They hire a goldsmith. They make it a god. They prostrate themselves. Now, here's the idea. You take a rock. You take a piece of wood. You go, I worship you, oh, rock, oh, piece of gold and silver. Um, can you forgive me of my sin? Can you give me eternal life? Can your boyfriend, can your girlfriend forgive your sin or give you eternal life? Can your children forgive your sin, give you eternal life? Can your job forgive your sin, give you eternal life? Can your job deliver you from the consequences of a life lived apart from God? But Isaiah, these are the deeply held religious convictions of our friends, the Babylonians. Just because they don't believe exactly like you, you shouldn't make fun of them. But their God really isn't God. I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen like a, a Jesus on somebody's dashboard with a little Jesus bobblehead? Or, and you, you go, that's not Jesus. That's not God. You see, sometimes Christians, we, we have idolatry in very subtle ways. People often ask me, why don't you have a cross in here? Well, because some people worship a cross. They want the symbol of the cross, but they don't want the substance of the cross. They want a cross that they can religiously bow down to and pray to and make them feel good. But you know what they don't want to do? They don't want a cross that they have to go to and die upon and sacrifice themselves or identify with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It isn't. The symbol of the cross that saves you. It is the substance of the sacrifice of a real Savior who died in time and space, who really shed his blood, who died a criminal's death and really came back to life. That's what saves you. And so you can't substitute a God of your own imagination. Isaiah points out six facts, six certainties to prove that false gods are worthless, powerless to save their followers. In verse 5 again, look what it says. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? Idols are not like the Lord or equal to the Lord. Not Allah, not Zoroaster, not the, the pantheon of world religions. Idols are not like the Lord. They are not equal to the Lord. And since the Lord is the living and the true God, He can help you. But dead gods cannot help you. 
The true and the living God has power and strength to help you in difficult situations. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if I go, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to sit the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be in you and with you. The Holy Spirit will have the power to transform your mind and transform your heart and transform your thinking. It is the power of the true and the living God that will give you the power to turn the stupid TV off. It will, it's the power of the living God that will give you the strength to say no to the drugs, to say no to the the alcohol. It's this God, the true and the living God, who is there, who can really transform your mind and your heart. Idols can't help you resist sin or conquer sin. If you take a pill, it's not helping me resist sin or conquer sin. It's an idol. This book, it will help me resist sin and conquer sin. Oh, it didn't help me resist sin. It didn't help me conquer sin. It's an idol. Do you know what will help you resist sin and conquer sin? It's by having the true and the living God. It's walking in the spirit instead of the flesh. And number two, idols are at best the fig Newton, the fiction of a person's mind. In verse 6, 8, they lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and look what it says. And he makes it a God. If it can be dreamt up and imagined by you and fabricated by you, it is not a God. All idols, by the way, are the thoughts, the fabrications of human imagination. When people conceive in their mind their own definition of God, of who he is and what he does, a God of their own imagination is formed. Have you ever heard a person say, well, you know, I don't really believe that's the kind of God that God is. You know, in your God, your God requires a sacrifice, but not my God. You know... My God is a singular God. He's not Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. My God doesn't have a Son who is eternal and uncreated. Well, then you know what? Your God is the God of your imagination. Your God isn't the God of Revelation. Your God is the God you made up. Not the God who reveals himself. Sadly, most people worship a God of their imagination rather than God, than the God who reveals himself in the Bible. The Lord God alone has, received, has revealed himself in God's holy word. The Lord God alone has revealed himself according to Jesus Christ the Lord. And number three, idols are only material objects or ideas conceived by mere mortals, human beings. That's what it says in verse seven. They bear it on their shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place and it stands from its place. It shall not move. Note, an idol cannot move. In some cases, artists or craftsmen fabricate an object. Listen carefully. If you can dream of it, if you can build it, if you can fabricate it, if you can explain it, then you made it up. 
Well, let me explain to you the Trinity. Let me use an illustration. The Trinity is like an egg with the yolk and the white and the shell. They are all the egg. But you know what? The illustration falls short. The Trinity is not like an egg. Because according to the Bible, God is singular in his essence. The Bible says that the Father is God. The Bible says that Jesus is God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God. Well, I can't explain that. I know. Isn't that great? Because if you could explain it, my immediate response would be, you probably are either lying or you've actually created a God who is the God of your own imagination. Most people worship the idols of their own desires, their own expectations, their own satisfactions. They worship professional sports. They worship entertainment. They worship political science. They worship government. They believe in the power that those things can bring them. They worship recreation. They worship sex. They worship science. They worship wealth. They worship possessions. They worship comfort. They worship a life of ease. They worship religion. They worship a family member. They worship a loved one. And remember, a person's idol is whatever receives the primary devotion, the primary thought, the primary commitment. The thing that occupies your heart is your God. An idol is that which consumes you or consumes your life. And if that isn't the Lord, if that isn't the true and the living Lord who's revealed himself in the Bible, then you need to do some honest soul searching. The Lord, the true and the living God, is supposed to be our greatest love, our highest devotion, our deepest commitment, our best time, our greatest energy. And if it belongs to someone else, if it belongs to something else, then you need to do an idle inventory. Idols, number four, are unable to carry people through, through life. Whatever it is, it won't be able to carry you. Instead, it will have to be carried. Someday you might have to carry your husband. Someday you might have to carry your wife. Someday you might have to carry your child. Someday you might have to carry your job. Someday you might have to carry your wellness into illness, sometime you might have to carry your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. That doesn't mean it's wrong to carry them. What's wrong is to devote every moment of every day, every conscious waking moment to the thing that is in fact not God. And because idols are unable to carry people throughout life, instead they have to be carried, they have to be paid, they have to be stored, they have to be insured. And by the way, if you can put it in a storage, if it can be insured by State Farm, then it's not a God. The Lord, the true and the living God, is supposed to, again, be your heart and soul, whatever it is. Idols are lifeless. Idols are incapable of carrying anyone through life's deepest troubles, through life's deepest trials, through life's deepest hurts, through life's 
painful sickness, through deprivation. And number five, idols cannot move. They make them and then they fix them. They don't have any ability to move. And since they exist only in the mind or because they exist only by virtue of the fact that they've been created, they are immobile. They cannot help. They cannot lead. They cannot guide. They cannot provide for you. And number six, idols cannot answer. They can't answer you. You can talk to them, but they won't respond. And do you want to know why? Because they're not real. They are not real. Idols cannot answer. Listen carefully. They cannot deliver you from sin. And they cannot deliver you from death. And they cannot bring you back to life. And they, they cannot stand you before the eternal God of heaven. Do you know who's the only person who can do that? Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one. He is the only one. He is the only one who can hear you. He is the only one who can respond to you. He is the only one who can deliver you. He is the only one who can bring you back to life. He is the only one who will present you before the Father. He is the only one who is ultimately worth worshiping. And this is the truth. The true God, the living God, the existing God, the revealing God is the God who shows up in history in spite of man's best efforts. It is not human beings who fabricated that he would be the offspring of Abraham and the offspring of Isaac and the offspring of Jacob and the offspring of Judah. It wasn't human beings who foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem and that he would be born of a virgin and that he would say the most amazing things that have ever been said and that he would do the most amazing things that have ever been done and that he would give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and that the dead themselves would even even come back to life and that he would be crucified and killed and that he would come back to life. People aren't that clever. They don't have a good handle. Human beings, even the smartest person at this point, can't even tell you who the Republican and the Democratic candidate will be. God, because he lives... God because he's not a fiction. God because he's not a, a product of the imagination. Because he lives. He can give you strength. And help. And faith. And confidence. The living Lord will protect and provide and guide. And he'll give you what you need when you're very, very young. And he'll give you what you need when you're very, very old like me. Even gray hairs. 
This is my biblical responsibility for not dyeing my hair right now. See, the gray hair. And so Isaiah shows the absurdity between the gods that are fabricated and constructed and the faithfulness of God. Look at, look at verse 8. Remember this and show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, O oh you transgressors. The word could also be translated rebels. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, he's speaking of Cyrus, the Persian, who will come from the east, destroy Babylon and deliver the captives. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, you transgressors or rebels. And, and like I said, look what it says. Rebels. Think about this for a moment. After, after assuring us that the idols are fake and that he's real and that he will carry us and that he will take care of us and that, that he will comfort us and he will lead us and he will guide us. Now God confronts the children of Israel. Look what he calls them. Transgressors. Rebels. He calls them stubborn of heart, far from righteousness. Oh, God, why'd you have to go and spoil it? Things were going so well and I was so edified. Rebels, stubborn of heart, far from righteousness. Why are you saying these things? Because they're true. Because it's true. Because that's what we are. We're rebels. We're stubborn in our heart. We're far from righteousness. God's people, and this is the, this is this is this is a shame. God's people resist God's blessing. I, that bears repeating. God's people. Resist God's blessing. God's people reject God as burden bearer. And they continue to bear their own burdens. They carry their own depression. They carry their own worries. They carry their own cares. They, they carry and they go, oh God, what... Don't you understand I have a mortgage to pay? Don't you understand that I have mouths to feed? Don't you understand that I have a church? Don't you understand that there's bills? Don't you understand this? Don't you understand that? Don't you understand? Don't you understand that Pakistan has nuclear capability and nuclear weapons may fall into the hands of radical Islam? Don't you understand that Putin is a dictator? And don't you understand that Israel faces annihilation? And don't you understand that the Chinese are going to completely ruin our economy? Don't you understand these things? We reject God as our burden bearer. We continue to bear our own burden. God, it's up to me to get the house payment. God, it's up to me to make the light bill. God, it's up to me to feed my family. Cast your care on the Lord, 
He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. You know what's funny? We like God's promises, but we hate God's methods. Okay, God. Look at verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. When he says, remember the former things of old, you know what he's talking about? Remember Genesis, remember Exodus, remember Leviticus, remember Numbers, remember it was, was me who created Adam in the garden. Remember it was me who sustained Noah. Remember it was me who instructed him to build the ark, the instrument of salvation and mercy. Remember it was me who saved Abraham from pagan idolatry. Remember it was me who spared Isaac and would offer his own son. Remember it was me who wrestled with Jacob when he was unwilling to surrender. Remember, it was me who formed Israel in the bowels of Egypt. Remember, it was me who carried you. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. Only God can And has provided prophetic prophecy. And from ancient times, things that are not yet, yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He will destroy Babylon. He will release the captives. They will return. The temple will be built. The Messiah will be born. And he will die. The most painful execution imaginable. The most painful suffering imaginable. This may shock you. It says, and I will do all my pleasure. The reality is the New Testament reveals that it pleased God to smite Jesus on your behalf. It pleased God. He was willing to do it. It actually made him happy. So that he could remove your sin. So that the curse of death could be released. So that you could experience a real resurrection. And a right relationship with God. And look what it says in verse 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east. This is a clear reference to Cyrus. The man who executes my counsel from a far country. He will do it. Everything that I've said about him will come to pass. He will arise. No one will be able to resist him. He'll come to Babylon. He'll release them. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen carefully. Have you ever thought... Will God make good on his promise on my life? I mean, is it true? I mean, God said that he would be with me and that Jesus would be with me. He said that he would forgive my sin. He said that he would be with me, that he would carry me, that he would never leave me, that he would never forsake me, that he has a plan and a purpose and that he would walk with me even through the valley of the shadow of death and that he will bring my miserable bones back to life and I will experience a resurrection And I'll spend eternity with Jesus. When Jesus said to his own disciples, 
I go, but if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you to receive you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. Will you make good on the promise? Will it really happen? Will Jesus really come through? I've purposed it. I will do it. Do you understand that once God says he will do something, guess what he will do? He will do exactly what he says. Well, what if I don't believe it? He'll still do what he what he says. He still will purpose it. I, I want you to understand something. Your ignorance, your lack of faith, your wickedness and your rebellion will not, I repeat, will not thwart the plan of God. He will do what he has purposed to do. And we're not keen. We're not. We're not keen when God calls a bird of prey to come swooping in our life, calling a bird of prey out of the east. Because you know what the bird of prey would do? When the bird of prey would come to Babylon, guess what? Hundreds. Listen carefully to me. Hundreds of thousands of people will die. When the Persians take over the Babylonian Empire, children will die. Men and women will die. The social and the economic order will collapse. But he will do it. Because he has a plan and he has a purpose. The world, make no mistake about it, is headed in the specific direction of God's ultimate plan and God's ultimate purpose. And look. And when we get upset, when we can't see beyond the circumstances of the plan of God and the purpose of God, when we can't see how God is going to accomplish his will, when we can't see how God is going to glorify himself, he's still going to do it. Look at verse 12. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. Because we are stubborn hearted. And we are far from righteousness. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted. Have you ever heard, heard someone say, I just can't believe it. I just don't believe it. I just, I just can't believe it. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted. Look what it says in verse 13. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. I will bring my righteousness near. Do you know what his righteousness is? All righteousness is found in his son, Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus that grace is near and righteousness is near and mercy is near and forgiveness is near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. Do you know what that means? I am not going to put off what I plan to do. And I will place salvation in Zion. The virgin will give birth to a child. William Kuyper wrote, God moves in mysterious ways as wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. There's a storm coming. I know. Isn't it great? 
judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behold a frowning providence. He hides a smiling face. That is what we barely believe. Even as the idols of our age are bowing down and stooping in massive failure, we struggle to trust God. How long will you trust government? How long will you trust the wisdom of men? How will you trust fake and pseudoscience? How long will you trust something other than God? By the way, you stubborn, you rebellious people, you people who are far from righteousness. What is God's answer to our rebellion? He gives us more grace. That should shock you. I'm stubborn and hard hearted. I know I'll give you more grace. I'm wicked and unbelieving. I know I'll give you more grace. I'm having a problem with this. I know I'll give you more grace. God is bringing righteousness near. In the very troubles we fear, God is bringing righteousness near. He would have to stop being God before the least of his promises fail. Do you remember John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace? He also wrote this. Listen carefully. Begone unbelief, my Savior is near. And for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel I smile at the storm. Determined to save, he watched o'er my path. When Satan's blind slave I sported with death. And can he have taught me to trust in his name and thus far have brought me to put me to shame? That's a good question. You know what John Newton is saying? Did God bring you this far just to let you down? We already know the answer. If in his death he saved you, How much more in his resurrection and his life will he not bring all things to completion? (laughs) Did God bring you this far just to let you down? I don't think so. Oh, but there's so much more. But we're going to stop. Heavenly Father, we pray. But Lord, as we look at Isaiah's statements and declarations, Lord, how foolishness is, how foolish it is to trust anything other than you. How foolish it is to believe anything other than what you've said about yourself. Lord, the voices will continue to talk on the radio and on the television In the newspapers and books, they'll continue to tell us that you're not real and that you're not there. Or if you are real and if you are there, you don't care. But Lord, we know that's not true. 
You've given us permission to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, we will do exactly that. Lord, we'll give you the things that we don't need. Our unbelief, our rebellion, our despair, our depression. We'll give them to you, Lord. And Heavenly Father, again, I pray for each and every person that they could find in Jesus a sure foundation, an ever-present help in time of need. We will cast our cares upon you. And you will sustain us. You will never, ever let the righteous fall. In Jesus' name.